Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, how are you doing after this fine Sunday of National Football League action? I cannot wait to get this day over with. This mm. is, um, from start to finish, just... Uh, a rough, a rough day of fandom, a rough day on the wallet, just overall, just not a good time of enjoying uh, National Football League football. Just brutal. Just a brutal, brutal Sunday. Yeah, with all due respect to your wallet, and I feel that, I think we'll start with the Bills game because this one was a punch in the gut. And Luca, we have done this now after almost every game. I ask you for your instant reaction when the game ended. And I think there's multiple ways you can take this because of some of the big picture ramifications, because of maybe some injury concerns coming out of this game, or maybe you just are going to surprise me with a very positive outlook on this. So I'm excited to pass it along to you here. But Luca, when that game ended today in the Meadowlands with the Jets defeating the Bills 20 to 17, what was your reaction? Uh, just disappointment, just an overall, just cannot believe what transpired the result more or less. Um, maybe this is a good time to even say it just, there was one point late in the game. I think it was right before the bills came on for their final drive where, uh, something was said over the commentary and it was basically giving props to the jets, right? For being in this situation it seems like they have the game in their hand with just a what needs to be game winning drive out of the bills, so on and so forth. And one of my friends in my living room, maybe it was even at during the kneel downs, they were just giving them props. And my friend just goes, the Jets still haven't proven anything. And to me, this game basically left me in an emotional state where one, of course, as a Bills fan was just disappointed, finding ourselves now we are winless in the division which is just crazy now that you've played multiple games. But I like respect to the Jets first and foremost, like they they deserve to win that game from start to finish. It looked obviously we'll get into it. It looked like, you know, this was going to be the game most of us expected. And then they just hung around and stayed in it. You know, whether who was part of keeping them in is up for debate. They stayed in the game and then were able to make plays happen and make drives happen to put up points and get the win. And uh, I don't want to hear any disrespect in I'm part of that, too. Right. I I overlooked them. I mean, I still respected their roster and stuff. I just think I thought they weren't entirely there yet. And this was a game for the Jets that finally puts them in the talk of they are competitive with the Bills and should be competitive with the Jet, uh, Dolphins, should say. And yeah, overall, man, like as a Bills fan, just. Not in shock because, again, it's it's a roster that if they put all things together and Zach Wilson doesn't lose them the game, they can be competitive with anyone. It's just they were able to do that. And unfortunately for us as Bills fans, it's disappointment. You know, you're 0-2 in the division. You just lost and had another offensive performance as a whole that you really, like, just real quick, like, so they've played eight quarters of football since the bye week, and only two of them have they been impressive on offense. Two. Two out of eight. That's not good. That's six consecutive quarters also, by the way, that the offense overall has not been impressive. And it's kind of concerning because the bye week was supposed to be something that you, you know, turned and tweaked some things, got the offense to maybe click a little bit better and then figure things out more so that you, you can go on this long run of games going into the postseason, whatever. 
And it's just something's off right now from top to bottom offensively. That is this game showed a potential problem here. And that's kind of where my head overall was at right at the final whistle as the handshakes are going on and we're about to watch our four o'clock games. Yeah, it was just disappointment. Disappointment is the word I just kind of want to always reiterate that I was feeling once this game wrapped up. Well, let's get one thing out of the way real quick, because we are recording this on Sunday night, like we always do. And I will tell you that as of the time of recording, we do not have an update on the Josh Allen injury. So we will, we'll tell you what we know now, and then I'll respond to what Lucas said. It just hit me that if by the time you're listening to this, if news has come down on Josh Allen, then you're certainly going to be expecting us to speak on that. So I am going back into banged up bills on Twitter. He is great for bills insight, injury insight, not just on the bills, but for the rest of the league. Um, He is saying, looking again, it could have been a medial elbow sprain could have stretched the ulnar nerve. It sounds like it sounds like based on looking at Dr. David Chow looked at looking at banged up bills, Twitter. It sounds like Josh Allen probably escaped serious injury from what I'm seeing on Twitter. The worst case scenario is he did something that'll end up costing him a couple of games. Um, But it seems like right now, smart money is on the fact he's just going to be a little sore, might miss some practice time, but should be able to play through it. We don't know anything more than that right now. We certainly don't want to guess, but that's just kind of like hands to the sky. We don't know what's going on with Josh Allen. So by the time you're listening to this, if you're like, why are they not talking about the quarterback being hurt? Because we don't know how hurt he is. And after the game, he said he thinks he would be fine. Not that that has to mean anything. Okay. To respond to what Lucas said, I feel like this show tonight is going to weave in and out of, let's talk about what happened in the Jets game. Let's talk about the implications for the rest of the season, because I think there were a lot of hard truths that came out of this game. Some of them can be kind of scary for the rest of the year. One of those hard truths that I don't think is scary for the rest of the year is the biggest advantage the Bills had against the Jets coming into this game was quarterback play. On this day, today, Sunday, whatever today's date is, uh, November 6th, the Jets had the better quarterback on the field for one game. They play this game 100 times. Josh Allen's going to be the better quarterback probably 90 of those times. It just so happened Josh Allen turned the ball over twice, could have had two more. It was not a really good day for quarterback one for the Bills. And to Zach Wilson's credit, he was very efficient. He made the plays that were there to be made. He didn't make any YOLO plays. He had one interception to Tremaine Edmonds that was called a uh, simultaneous catch by the defender and the offensive player, which was kind of a BS call is what it is. Bills ended up getting a turnover on that drive anyway. That's a hard truth. I think you can just live with right off as a, hey, that stinks, but that's not really sustainable. One hard truth that I come out of this game thinking, Luca, and we mentioned it last week when we talked about game balls and game checks, and you gave your game check to Isaiah McKenzie, and I gave my game check to Gabe Davis. We all liked what we thought this offense could be with Diggs, Knox, Davis, McKenzie, all catching passes from Josh Allen, but they were projections. Can Dawson Knox duplicate his big year from last year that was really touchdown driven when you look at fantasy football? Can Gabe Davis elevate from a guy who has been a wide receiver three, wide receiver four, and become that second receiver on this team? Can Isaiah McKenzie, who has had really strong flash games in his career, become that slot receiver? Or can Jamison Crowder be that guy to take over for a very reliable Cole Beasley? To this point, Luca, Davis and McKenzie, I think, have underwhelmed. 
And we saw it in the Packers game where when Allen targeted Diggs, he was doing very well. When he targeted other receivers, his quarterback rating plummeted. Today, it felt like unless Allen was looking for Diggs, it was just a complete gamble if that ball was going to be complete. And I think it was fitting that the Bills' last offensive play today was a ball that bounced off of Gabe Davis's chest because the theme of this game, and there are a lot of themes we're going to get into on both sides of the ball, but the theme of this game for me was if it's not Diggs, who else is it going to be on offense? Yeah, this was this was definitely, as you put out, the game where it highlighted even more so that just if outside of Diggs, is there anyone that can even be somewhat reliable? It's not even entirely reliable. Like the Diggs reliability should almost be shown, you know, as this is unique or really nice to have and you need to build on. Now you have Gabe Davis, you have Isaiah McKenzie, all these other guys that you want to be that person. You know, you want Knox to be that safety blanket, you or McKenzie for that matter, because Crowder is unfortunately hurt for this time. And this was a game probably where I, I thought it at one point where I'm like, what we had seen out of Crowder before his injury, this was a game we really needed that kind of Crowder role because they weren't trusting McKenzie to do any of that. You never saw any just kind of quick three to five yards, maybe at best routes that were there as a second or third option, depending on the pass play that could be used as Josh Allen's safety blanket. Those plays were not happening. Those were then becoming running back utilization, and it just wasn't really explosive or there. You know, James Cook was kind of okay, and and Devin Singletary was whatever. But it, it just none of these weapons on this offense outside of Diggs are going to be something at this point in time that I look at reliable. And this game was very, very, very um, problematic in that kind of <sighs> sideline. Davis needs to really step up for me now. Like this is last week and this week are big red flags to me with Gabe Davis. Like I, I know you are a fan of Gabe Davis overall, and you really think he can be a big player in this league. And I don't necessarily disagree with you. I just, he had the fault of an injury previous to the bye, where he was coming off a pretty bad injury. He did have that big game against the Steelers. So you thought everything's okay. And then coming out of the bye. He ha- he leads the team in drops, I believe, last week. And I'm, I bet you I haven't seen the numbers, but I bet you he led the team again in drops this week against the Jets. And they're, it's not even like they're really tough catches. You know, I'm not going to count the last one as something. I mean, we want Gabe Davis to pull down that ball or at least make a better effort in trying to pull down that ball at the end of the game. But earlier in the game, there are balls thrown his way that... Can I can I easily say 60% of receivers, like not necessarily your Robbie Andersons or anything like that out there, but 60% of your NFL receivers are going to probably take in, catch, and have no issues with it or minimal issues with, maybe a subtle little bobble because it is a you know piss missile being thrown to them by Josh Allen, but you would expect any relevant, decent NFL receiver to come down with, and Gabe Davis yet again last week and now this week has dropped those balls, and it's just... It's head scratching, man. Like those are balls. If you're going to be a big time player and you're going to be a reliable player, as we're trying to talk about here, you need to catch those passes. And um, Isaiah McKenzie, he had that one drive where I'm pretty sure he was targeted or used, however you want to word it, like three or four straight plays. Outside of that, he was basically non-existent. I, 
I don't know, man. The the weapons question is a big time question for this offense. And if we want to be as good of an offense as we know we can be, like something needs to change there. And, you know, whether that's adding someone or just figuring something else out with the personnel you have, I don't care ultimately. But just I want to see them do something. Like I just something needs to change. It just has to. These these weapons are not working out in a way that we projected and expected them to at this point in time. So how can we change this to make it closer, if not exactly what we hoped it to be when the games really start mattering and basically your season is on the line, whether it's late in the season or in the playoffs, and we need Gabe Davis to make that catch or whoever else we brought in to make that catch. Like, I, I will say, like, I know we talk about Odell and stuff. This is where I'll end here and I'll kick it back to you. We talk about Odell and I'm sure we will talk about Odell. But again, my head went to, man, this is something where we have a guy that unfortunately is hurt and dealing with an injury could have really used even a Crowder, just someone else that is known to be that safety blanket style receiver to just do something different because everything that was available today just was not making it happen for Josh Allen. And it was very, very upsetting to watch. It had a very 2019 Bills feel to it, which was the year that it was John Brown and Cole Beasley and Isaiah McKenzie, but there was no Stefan Diggs yet. And a lot of the Bills offense in that season was more based on trying to run the ball. And then you had a lot of Isaiah McKenzie jet sweeps, and then they would unleash Josh Allen's legs. Josh Allen, nine rushes for 86 yards and two touchdowns today. You saw them even go down and get an Isaiah McKenzie jet sweep going. They were essentially opening up their bag of tricks to try to get the ball moving because conventional offense was not working. And it was such a strange thing because the day opened up the bill's first offensive play was a 45 yard completion to Stefan Diggs, excuse me, over sauce Gardner. And you just felt like at that point, like, okay, this is going to be the bill's day. The, the jets botched the opening kickoff at first. I thought they tried to surprise on side. It turned out their kicker just slipped and the bills get great field position, 45 yard pass to Diggs. Bills are in business. And then two plays later, Josh Allen with just one of the worst interceptions you'll ever see, not by Josh Allen, but by any quarterback. Hard to understand what he even really saw on that play as it was picked off by Jordan Whitehead, who essentially just stood there and caught a pass from Josh Allen, which resembled very closely Josh Allen's second interception of the day, where um, in the second half, Von Miller sacks and forces a fumble on Zach Wilson and Josh Allen gives it right back. It was just a really off day for Josh Allen. At the same time, he was the only thing the Bills had going on the ground. And I guess my next question to you, Luca, is, and I know like this is going to, this is going to spring an Odell Beckham conversation. We're certainly going to have that conversation, but I don't think we can be at a point with this team where it's Odell Beckham or bust. This team was never supposed to have Odell Beckham. And this team has always been the betting favorite to win the Super Bowl. And the offense that was on the field today, outside of Spencer Brown, being replaced by David Quesenberry because of injury was the offense. This team envisioned being their offense when the season started and they were only able to muster 17 points against the jets. And my question to you, Luca is, is this sustainable right now? Not all the defenses they play are going to be the jets. The jets are a good defense to Lucas point. The numbers like the jets. It's not just the fact that the jets have beaten up on backup quarterbacks. They shut down Josh Allen today, whether we like it or not. And, um, statistics like DVOA, which factor in level of competition like the Jets. So their numbers aren't just inflated by playing against backup quarterbacks. But is this sustainable where similar maybe to like how the Rams have been in recent years with Cooper Cup, where 
it's so much funneled through one receiver and then everybody else just kind of takes turns making plays. Can the Bills win like this? Or is it a point where we need a Davis, a McKenzie, a Dawson Knox? Like this felt like a game that was just screaming for Dawson Knox to make a play and he just never did. Can this offense survive? Or is one of those three, this is absence of Odell Beckham showing up, walking through the door. Does one of those three really have to elevate into borderline star for this season to go where we want it to? Um, I don't know if necessarily, and this is going to be a weird response because it's almost like a yes, but no, or maybe a no, but yes, however you want to kind of stage it. But um, I don't think you need, say, Gabe Davis or Isaiah McKenzie or Dawson Knox to be, you know, let's say, so I guess in the receivers world, we'll say top 15 in the tight end world with Knox, we'll say top five, just because obviously those metrics and the players you see in those, where if Knox was top five, he would be near these individuals. If say McKenzie or Davis were near top 15, they'd be near those individuals. You don't need them to be that guy and then be that guy every week, but they are kind of handicapped in a way where you, you kind of need the things to line up right. You need one of those three, we'll call it for now, or even maybe a Khalil Shakir or whatever to just randomly step up and become at least a secondary weapon on said game to get through the game or else it really becomes a coin flip, it feels like, of a game where we just experienced this. And then also Miami kind of comes to mind because again, that was another one too where we had majority of our offense. Now, obviously, different factors played into that Miami one than it did against the Jets here. You know, 50 degrees of difference or whatever you want to say. But like it was another one of those situations where it just the offense wasn't clicking because all of a sudden outside of digs, there was no one else really stepping up and making a, a, a stamp on the game and an impact that really pushed us over the edge where we could just kind of foot on the throat, make things happen. Because I think that's really what happens. If one of those other weapons can just step up and make something happen on that day, we kill teams. You you just need one other guy to do it. And I think that's where the conversation of Odell kind of comes in here. Adding a weapon like Odell, I think just increases the chances of someone else being there to just put it over the edge and really make sure that this offense can click on all cylinders and just make things happen. And just it, you're not going to have to sweat a game out or worry about it in the regular season, because in the playoff time, you're going to be sweating every game out. Like that's just the life of the playoffs. I'm talking right now to get to the finish line where number one seed is still the discussion and what's on our mind. Um, you need that second weapon. You need someone else there. And at this point in time, my confidence level on one of those guys week in, week out to be an individual that we can trust and rely on is no longer there. I don't like it can happen. Gabe Davis can still be Gabe Davis. Isaiah McKenzie can still be a fun receiver. We've seen it, but we've only seen it once or twice with Isaiah McKenzie and Gabe Davis, you know, a little bit over a handful of times. That's it. And those are the memories that Bills fans, all of us, we kind of grasp and understand that this is where that player's ceiling is. The problem is their floor is also so low that you, if they all have that floor and they all have that off day, we'll call it, at the same time, this is the product you get. This is what the offense does for you. And that's not good. This offense can't be what shows up 50% of the time. It just can't. Because good teams like the New York Jets, 
like the Miami Dolphins and others. These are good teams. I'm not calling them great teams or anything like that, but I'm not going to disrespect them. The Jets are a good team. The Giants, will say, are a good team. The Dolphins are a good team. People, these are good teams. If you show up with no one else having their, you know, having their A game, we'll call it, or just they're having an off day and Diggs is the only guy you can really depend on, this is exactly what happens. And that's why you bring in a guy like Odell. With this offense currently in place, I do worry about the one seed. I do worry about, are we going to be able to get over the finish line and make that one seed happen? It can happen. I would say I'd put us at least at a 55% chance to get the one seed. It, you know, Push comes to shove. The schedule will still get lighter down the road. But next week, we have the Vikings even, and that is going to be a tough game. We have more losses right now than those Minnesota Vikings coming into town next week. That's the reality of it. And you can't have all these players having an off day. I don't think that's going to happen. I feel like a loss like this will really get the locker room kind of centered, focused, I would hope at least. But at the end of the day, you don't know. You can't trust it. You can't trust that that's going to be possible right now. And that's where I sit with these current weapons in this offense. And I really, really would like to see something change in that world where it brings in that conversation as you brought it up of Odell, just because at least he is someone you could view as more reliable, it seems, at this point in their career, depending on how that knee is, of course, than anyone else that currently sits in that locker room not named Stefan Diggs. Okay, so we need to have an Odell Beckham conversation, but I also want to have a conversation on the outlook for the one seed, and we will obviously drill back into certain things that happen in this game. Don't worry, Bill's defense. We are coming for you at some point today, too. There's a lot to cover on this episode, folks. Um, but let's quickly talk about Odell Beckham because there was a report today that he's looking now for a multi-year deal, which I don't know how to take that. I don't think the Bills are necessarily a team that would have the ability or the appetite to take on a multi-year deal on Odell Beckham Jr. Honestly, when you just look around the league, unless a team is very desperate, it's hard to see why a team would take that kind of a gamble on a receiver who just turned 30 who's coming off of two ACL injuries and we haven't seen him on the field. And it also is kind of a head scratcher for me from his point of view. Why would you want to basically sign your last NFL contract, which was the report when you're essentially at the lowest your stock is going to be right now. Odell Beckham is an idea. He's not anything that's tangible proof. If Odell Beckham comes to Buffalo gets on a playoff run, even if the Bills don't win the Super Bowl, but he has a couple of good, strong games. Shoot, if he has one highlight catch, people are going to say, see, he's back. He's he's fine. That's Odell Beckham Jr. Let's give him $12, $13 million. Michael Gallup almost made $10 million a year this offseason. Odell Beckham can get paid. So something about that reporting doesn't line up to me. It feels maybe like it's agent-driven, trying to drive up the price for what Odell's trying to sign this year. I still feel pretty strongly that the Bills are very much in this race for Odell Beckham. And then, Luca, what it would do for me, and this is kind of a baseball analogy with the Bills right now, is if you look at the Bills wide receiving core, like a batting lineup, they have Stefan Diggs, who is just a great all-around hitter. He hits for power, hits for average, five-tool player. He's great. Behind him, you essentially have like an Adam Dunn player. And I'm not a baseball guy by any means, but essentially what Adam Dunn was in his career was he hit 222 30, but he'd hit 40 home runs a year. So he could go three games in a row, striking out time after time after time. And then boom, he hit a home run. And so it's like, just when you're ready to give up on him, 
he hits a home run. To me, that's what Isaiah McKenzie and Gabe Davis are right now is they're not putting together good at bats to borrow a baseball analogy. They're not working the count. They're not putting the ball in play, but every once in a while they tease you with a play that's like, see, if I can just channel that, that guy can be our two or our three in this offense. Isaiah McKenzie against Miami making plays all over the field. Think back to how he played against New England last year when the Bills absolutely needed him because they were down Gabe Davis and Cole Beasley. Um, Gabe Davis this year, big touchdown pass against Kansas City at the end of the half, the 98-yard touchdown pass against the Steelers. It teases you. It's like, see, he just needed to be healthy. And then a game like today happens where he's targeted five times, hauls in two of them, and then drops the game-ending play right off of his chest. Last week, he's targeted seven times and just has zero production out of it. I don't I don't need these guys to be the, the reason why the Bills win, but I can't have them be the reason why the Bills lose. So like Lucas said, if your ceiling isn't way up to the top, I can live with that as long as your floor is not way up at the bottom. Where is the consistency? And I thought a lot about Cole Beasley today, Luca. You and I both know, and I think it's out there, Cole Beasley was not coming back to the Bills. That was a marriage that both sides wanted to end. Both sides wanted it to end. Cole Beasley was on Twitter this week saying how happy he was not to be a Bill anymore. So don't think the Bills screwed this up in the sense of like they let him go and he wanted to be back. That was never going to happen. But just think about all those times in Josh Allen's career where there was chaos, where nothing was working, and it was like, there's Cole Beasley for a chain mover. There's Cole Beasley for a chain mover. We need a positive play. There's Cole Beasley for a chain mover. Josh Allen's trust with Cole Beasley was right there with how he trusts Stefan Diggs. And right now, you have Stefan Diggs having to go be the downfield receiver and be the chain moving receiver because nobody else is stepping up and really earning his trust. And there were plays today over the middle where Knox was wide open, McKenzie was wide open, and Allen bypassed those throws to try to force balls to Stefan Diggs. And that, to me, is a red flag. Maybe you want to say it's bad decision-making by Josh Allen? Fine. Maybe you want to say Josh Allen is only trusting one guy head and shoulders over the other? That's a big problem when Josh Allen needs to have trust for those guys after them. So to wrap up the Odell Beckham conversation, Luca. When Stefan Diggs came in in 2020, the Bills had a wide receiver group that was okay, but not great. They had John Brown at one, Cole Beasley at two, Isaiah McKenzie at three. Stefan Diggs came in, immediately went to number one. Everybody slotted down one more peg. And all of a sudden, this wide receiver group that was like, eh, it's okay, was like, holy cow, this is a great wide receiver group. Look at the Bills this year. You have Stefan Diggs at one. That's fantastic. He might be the best one in the entire league. If he's not, he's in the conversation. Right now, Gabe Davis is two. You slide Odell Beckham into two. Gabe Davis goes down to three. Isaiah McKenzie goes down to four to be that gadget receiver. And then Khalil Shakir fits in where he fits in. That is a championship wide receiver group to me. And you don't have to rely on Gabe Davis and Isaiah McKenzie every week to make big plays. So, one, I'll give you one last thought on Odell Beckham. I know he's going to be a major talking point. I have a feeling we're going to get some news on him sooner rather than later, maybe as soon as this week. I'm kind of anticipating um, in the next couple of weeks before Thanksgiving, we really hear something on Odell. Um, any final thoughts on that piece, what he could mean for this wide receiver group? I know you've said a lot on him already. I don't want to get redundant here, but do you have any final thoughts on Odell just to kind of put a bow on that conversation before we get back to this Jets game? 
No, your your slot in analogy was actually spot on, and I I kind of wanted to finish it at that point, so you almost beat me to it. First and foremost, we ain't seeing Cole Beasley on Twitter anytime soon. Don't know if he's, anyone's seen that out there. He has been removed from Twitter for the uh, foreseeable future. Um, questionable as a human being. Anyways, moving on from that point, Odell being slotted in at two, all of a sudden does something that what we've seen out of Gabe Davis in previous seasons that we've loved and what we know he can be kind of would put him back in that comfort zone that he was. I mean, we didn't even have Odell's in at that too, but you had Emmanuel Sanders. You had all these other kind of stop gaps, we'll call them in at the two receiver so that Gabe Davis could be called in as that third guy whenever needed, not the true slot, you know, McKenzie, Cole Beasley, uh, we'll, throw Crowder in this mix too. Not that guy, of course, but that third receiver that really changed stuff up. And then all of a sudden he came like the, the field crosser specialist, we'll call him, you know, where Josh Allen on a broken play would all of a sudden see Gabe Davis going across the field for 35 yards and just be open up a sideline or whatever. Right now, that's not being seen a lot because he needs to be that number two weapon in this offense. You put him back in that comfort zone. You put him back as that third best option and Odell is sitting there all of those holes, all that opening is back on the table, baby. And like Gabe Davis, I am sure will go right back to being as good as what we knew him to be in previous seasons. And we're hoping that he could also do while being a number two weapon. I just think it's not quite there yet, right? This offense doesn't seem like it's built. Plus Gabe Davis isn't quite there as a player and as well-rounded as we hope to be, to be that number two while still providing that kind of broken play downfield presence on a regular basis and Odell just helps that out. So yeah, it, kind of, we don't need to be repetitive here. We don't need to kind of be redundant as you put up. I want Odell to happen. Also, I thought you would mention it right there at the tail end. You know, Jay Glazer, of course, came out uh, during the Sunday night pregames saying that essentially to his point was, don't be surprised if you hear news about Odell by the end of this week. Like he was expect a decision by Odell by the end of this week because he's going to be medically cleared by that point in time. So it sounds like his knee is doing good. It sounds like he's going to get, you know, an NFL physician, doctor, whatever you call it, to look it over and it may be okay based on what in, you know, insiders are reporting and we will get a decision hopefully by the end of this week if not early next week. So yeah, fingers crossed the Bills in are on it are in on it. It sounds like they are, and hopefully they're able to get something done because it really feels like it can, as you put it, mold this weapon or the receiving core, we'll call it, just so perfectly that you look at it from top to bottom and it's like this is a championship receiving core. This is the receiving core that really can put this offense and Josh Allen over the top to start just getting in rhythm, getting, you know, getting it going. So by the time you, you get to January or even late December, this is a just well-rounded machine that is just going to chug along and hopefully get over the finish line, you know, as the one seed first and foremost, but then take that one seed and get us to the point where we need to go. And we all expected this team to be in the preseason. So this season to me, is a very simple talking about the regular season. It's a very simple pass fail. It, the bills pass the test. If they have a higher seed than the chiefs, they fail the test. If they have a lower seed than the chiefs, if they find themselves in the playoffs back at arrowhead, they have failed the regular season test. 
Now understand what I'm saying. They can pass the regular season test and still lose to the Chiefs in Buffalo. They can fail the regular season test and still beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead in the playoffs. But with the way this season started, with beating the Ravens in Baltimore, beating the Titans on Monday Night Football, beating the Chiefs in Arrowhead, and having the end of the season schedule look like what it was, finding themselves back at Arrowhead again after beating the Chiefs in the regular season in Arrowhead two seasons in a row would be a fail any way you want to spin it and would unfortunately make the Bills' path to the Super Bowl harder than it needs to be. The path is still there, though. That is the great news. These, these Bills are going to make the playoffs. They're a 6-2 and two football team. They're going to be in the playoffs. They're probably going to win their division. And like Lucas said, I think they're better than a coin flip right now for the number one seed. Let's talk about that right now because I think that's where a lot of people's heads went after this game is – did the Bills blow their chance at the one seed? And you understand why people are thinking that, right? Because last year, it's very simple. If the Bills had not lost in Jacksonville, they would have played the Chiefs in Buffalo. It's as simple as that. That's just the easy math of it. Now, there's other losses along the way that were close. The Jacksonville one stands out because they were double-digit favorites. That kind of mirrors today's loss. I understand all of that. These Jets are not those Jaguars. This point spread was probably a little bit disrespectful to the Jets. This is not a Jets podcast. Congratulations to them. We are looking at this from a bill, a bill standpoint. So what was lost today if the Chiefs beat the Titans right now at the time we're recording, they're actually losing that game 14 to nine and there is a chief on the ground. I can't see who it is. That's not important. And if the Chiefs, let's just live in a world right now where the Chiefs win this game against the Titans, then the Chiefs will have closed the gap in the standings on the Bills. They will have the same record, but they'll both be six and two, but the Bills will still maintain that tiebreaker because of their head-to-head -head win. That's why that win was so big. They beat the Chiefs. They beat the Titans. They beat the Ravens. They have those head-to-heads. They play the Bengals later in the year. They have a chance to have a head-to-head -head there. What the loss did today, though, was if you look at the season as like a, a marathon, say like a um, uh, uh, not yeah, marathon was that 26 miles, right? So the Bills came out and right now we're like at mile marker 10 and the Bills are two miles ahead of the head, head of the Chiefs. And you're thinking, man, we're doing great. We're two miles ahead of them. And what the Bills did today was they stubbed their toe. And now they're going to have to walk for a mile and the Chiefs are just catching up. The Chiefs are ca they're still behind them, but they're catching up because of that tiebreaker. And what you lost today was that cushion where you can you could afford to lose a game like this, but you you lost it kind of early, like you lost that advantage. The one thing I'll tell everybody is, as much as we all think we are just super smart about football, and Luca and I are guilty of it as anybody, we put our predictions out there on Twitter every single week, and we look at the Bills' schedule, and we're like, they're going to win this one, they're going to win this one, they're going to lose this one, Chiefs are going to win this one. Nobody knows anything. The Chiefs' one loss this year came against the Indianapolis Colts. So you can look at this Bills schedule. You can look at the Chiefs' schedule and think, oh, my God, the Bills have to win out because the Chiefs are not going to lose another game. Nobody in their right mind would have thought the Chiefs would have lost to the Colts. Nobody in their right mind thought the Bills were going to lose to the Jets. So the, there's a game on the Chiefs' schedule that they're probably going to lose that none of us are going to see coming. Maybe it's tonight against the Tennessee Titans, and we're all feeling better by the time this podcast drops on Monday morning. Maybe it's against the Chargers. Maybe Russell Wilson and the Broncos can let it ride one night and cook something up for the Chiefs and beat them. Who knows? But the, the point is, you can't get yourself in a point where you think you know what's going to happen with the schedule. You just got to play your games. And right now, if the Chiefs beat the Titans tonight, the Bills and Chiefs are neck and neck. And if they finish tied, the Bills get the tiebreaker edge. 
The other thing to consider though, Luca, is the AFC East has really tightened up because the Jets now have just as many wins as the Bills. The Dolphins are right there. The AFC East right now, I think with Washington losing today, I could I could pull this up, but I think the AFC East is the only division that has all four teams with a winning record. Um, I still think the Bills are going to win the AFC East. They're 0-2 in the division. The Dolphins look really good. The Jets clearly are not as bad as we all thought they were. The Patriots are always going to fight. There's still, Luca a path that the Bills lose the AFC East, and all of a sudden they're on the road round one in the playoffs. So I think trying to worry about anything other than the fact that they lost a game today, they're six and two, and now there's just multiple ways this season can go versus like, hey, it's a dead race to the number one seed. Just take a deep breath. The Bills are a six and two football team. They have one of the best quarterbacks in the sport. They have a very good defense. They have one of the best receivers in the sport. They're probably going to still win along the way another six or seven games. You hope it's enough to win the division, to win the one seed, but nobody knows anything right now. And worrying about the fact that, hey, they cost themselves the one seed in the playoffs sitting here on November 6th seems like it's just like causing yourself stress that you just have no control over because nobody knows what the future is going to hold. Yeah, to that point, I mean, think about how the AFC broke down last year, even. Just last season, the AFC as a conference was pretty wild. I mean, Tennessee was the one seed. Uh, Kansas City was the two seed. Um, but everyone was within a game of each other, right? And as you put it, or pointed out, I should say, the the Jags' loss that the Bills suffered cost them that game being in Buffalo. And it turned out that Buffalo then was the four seed. And it's just like, that's the reality of it, right? As you put it, and you know, I love to say it in betting, betting more than anything else, Vegas knows more than you, but no one knows shit. That's, that's the reality of sports. It's not even just football. It's everything, right? Vegas knows more than you, but you don't know shit. Like no one knows shit, but it's just, to freak out in November, November 6th, as you love to keep pointing out on this podcast, to freak out over anything is really foolish. It's silly. Um, to react is okay. And to, to be upset about something and just to be emotionally invested in something as like our fandom is definitely great. But to kind of overreact and to really just assume that this killed the one seed or now Kansas city has the upper hand or Tennessee or whatever it may be that you feel is the opinion that is so awful after this loss. It's just an overreaction. Like no one knows anything. Anything can happen. It's November. As you put it, you know, on a 26.2 mile race, also known as a full marathon, uh, we are on mile 10 ish. Right. And it's, it was a great analogy because it's like, stubbed your toe. You got to walk it off a little bit, but there's still so much in front of you that you don't know where you're going to finish. And no one knows where you're going to finish. No one knows where any of the runners behind you are going to finish. You just got to do your best to get the best time you can get, which in this terms is your record and just let what happened happened, right? We put ourselves in a great position where a loss like this, if I want to try to think positively, right? And I want to put a silver lining on it at this point in time, as we have a one seed conversation, we kind of put ourselves in a position already where we could even afford this loss. We could afford this hiccup, this stub of the toe as you, I'm going to, I'm going to use that to just keep using it stub of the toe. And now, even if Kansas city wins this game or Tennessee wins this game, we are still 
on the point of where we are number one in the standings. Whoever wins this game is number two. And then the loser of this game, I believe, falls to three or, or four. I mean, I, I think I, maybe I don't remember. I have it right in front of me just, just to iron out that point. Baltimore plays tomorrow night, which convolutes things a little bit. They're five and three. The Titans and, and Chiefs are both five and two because Baltimore hasn't had a buy yet. Right. So it's very result driven. But mm-hmm. regardless, so the the loser of this game could fall to four. But I don't think the loser of this game feels any kind of panic, regret, whatever it may be, or disappointment and are sitting there in you know November in the locker room going, this cost us the, uh, the ability at a one seed. I honestly think the point you brought up about the AFC East and that conversation is more important than the one seed conversation. The AFC East, people, ladies and gentlemen, the AFC East is a great division. We are not in a cakewalk division that the preseason betting odds seem to look like. We are not in a division that kind of felt like there's a 75, 80% chance the Bills win it. There is still a great chance, I feel like, in my heart that the Bills win it. But as Josh pointed out, every team in the AFC East is 500 or better. I think they're all just flat out better than 500 now. The Patriots won against the Colts. The Dolphins beat the Bears. And the Jets, of course, beat the Bills. So yeah, everyone's above 500, I believe. And it's just a good division. And it's great. There's great coaches in this division. There's great teams in this division. And every divisional game is going to be difficult. We didn't expect to be sitting here talking about the Bills right now as an 0-2 divisional record, but that's a credit to the division more than it is just kind of a knock on the Bills. It's just, this is the reality of it all. And now the Bills are going to really have to take those last four divisional games very seriously. Even when it comes to week 18, when they play the Patriots at home, it's home, I believe, right? Because we're at New England on Thursday night. Um, at home week 18, I mean, there now seems like there could be a scenario it, where we sit today where that game is going to matter potentially for the division, let alone the conference standings and everything. So it, this loss made things extremely interesting in the division. And don't think for a second that the Dolphins didn't see this after their game wrapped up and were just so ecstatic. And we're like, this just cracked the division back up for grabs, essentially, to them. To the Dolphins, this just put it up for grabs, and it's anyone's game now. And things are going to get very, very interesting down the stretch in the second half of the season in the AFC East. And I thought that was a great point. Like the one seed is the goal, of course. And as you put it, even getting above Kansas City is the goal in the playoff standings so that we can host them when that game comes or if that game comes. But the focus now really needs to be division first, which I do believe McDermott has this team always focused on year in, year out. Let's just let's finish this point here. McDermott and this staff always make sure that this team, it feels like, is focused on division first, then where they stand in the playoffs, and then from there, getting to that last game of the season. It's always a step by step process. You got to win your games week in, week out, win the division, get as high as you can in the conference. And then try to go on a run to the eventually try to get to the Super Bowl. That's the pro- that's the process. That's that's the goal for this team. And I don't think even with the expectations of this season that changed. I don't know why they would have changed that thought process. I feel like they should still be doing that here in and here out. And now they just I mean, they can't take a divisional game lightly. This this probably should have been looked at as one of the quote unquote easier divisional games. And they just didn't have a good game and they lost it plain and simple. The jets beat them. They, they deserve to win. And now they can't take those remaining four divisional games lightly at all, because if you want to win the division, which we should be, 
you have to win probably the last four of those to really make sure you do. All right, let's go back to the Jets game. We've talked about some big picture stuff. I agree with everything you said about the division. It's actually kind of exciting because there was a part of you, you know, that could have thought like, hey, the regular season might be kind of boring. Like you're just watching the Chiefs and you want to see which one of these two high-end teams are going to compete for first place. And now the Bills have three teams in their own division right on their heels. All four teams in the AFC East currently control their own destiny with their records and with their remaining schedule because the Patriots are two games or a game and a half back of the Bills, but they play the Bills twice more. And the Jets and the Dolphins both have the same amount of wins as the Bills and have a game in hand against the Bills and play the Bills again, albeit in Buffalo. So it is going to be interesting. But let's talk about this game, Luca. Um, <clears throat> coming out of it, there's there's a lot of things to be frustrated about. But just in general, do you come out of this game more frustrated with the offense or the defense? Um. That's a great question. I, I, it's so hard. So just, I don't want to be too long here because I'm sure you want to get to a point. I, I feel like I'm frustrated with both, but they're for completely different reasons. I'm frustrated with the offense because it's yet another display by them. You know, four more quarters after I pointed out earlier, the second half of the Packers game that they just kind of felt flat or off or whatever you want to put it. Allen definitely, as we all saw, was a bit off. And everyone else kind of followed suit for the most part. But with the defense, there's the excuse you can paint there with injuries, no Trey, no Poyer, uh, Milano's out, so on and so forth. But at the same time, man, like even with all of that in mind, I, I kind of want to say the defense I'm more frustrated or disappointed in. Like this is this was a game that even with those injuries, I kind of expected them to be able to not let the Jets offense do what they wanted to do. And what I mean by that is essentially make sure that the game is never in the hands of Zach Wilson, right? That's that's kind of how the Jets need to win games this year. They need to make sure the game doesn't just fall into Zach Wilson's hands or eventually he has to make something happen, whether, you know, whatever it may be. You they want to make sure that the ground game's strong. They want to make sure that they're making things in life easy for Zach Wilson, where he's not kind of forced into making the turnovers and making the dumb plays that we know he is pretty much like regularly capable of. And yet this defense was so underwhelming today. Injuries aside, I understand, but the defense was still so underwhelming. They just let the Jets game plan work so perfectly that with those injuries, I even without those injuries, I, I think Poyer steps up and all that stuff, I do think, but I don't know necessarily how much that really would have changed. It just seemed like the Jets were able to do what they wanted. And even the guys such as like the defensive line, they just, for instance, you know, this is the point I'll be before I kick it to you. It felt like today was a game where it was last year's run defense, right? It seemed like a lot of the lead blockers or just offensive linemen were getting to the second level so easily that they weren't, you know, our defensive line was not keeping Tremaine Edmonds and Terrell Bernard clean at all. And that was what allowed that run game to just continuously get at us. And, you know, everyone's probably going to remember that one drive where it just felt run after run after run after run. There was no stopping them the entire time. And they just milked essentially, I believe that was the entire fourth quarter. So it's just like, what are we doing here defensively where defensive line had, you know, Rousseau, Rousseau got hurt during the game. 
Um, I'm trying to think if there was even any other injuries outside of that. Like, I don't think there was. Kyer um, Elam and Taron Johnson both left for a sequence of plays and came back. Yeah, but on the defensive line. like Oh, defensive I line. Was, I apologize. No, yeah, nobody else. It was just Russo got hurt, which is a bigger, it's a big loss in the run game, of course. Like, you like to talk about all the time how important he is to this team on, you know, just edge run defense. But outside of that, like that was our, that's our a team defensive line. And it just seemed like they were not able to keep our linebackers clean, which if there was a game with all the injuries and everything like that, that you need to keep that second level, the safeties and linebackers clean, this is the one that's where those injuries then become highlighted and a problem because the individuals you have back there aren't Jordan Poyer, aren't Matt Milano. It's Terrell Bernard and Jaquan Johnson. And it's like, if you don't keep those guys clean where it's already, they are a downgrade bigger problems are going to be highlighted. And it was just, it was disappointing. It was frustrating to watch the defense today. I'm with you. I think the larger story of the game is going to put more heat on the offense because you talked about the guys that were missing. You talk about Poirier, you talk about white who probably should be back. I would guess next week. Um, I'm guessing that the, the turf at uh, MetLife had something to do with that today. And then you talked about Milano. Those are, you know, three of the four best players on the entire defense or three of the five best. You got to include Vaughn and Hyde in that, too. Um, so I think with all of that and then they held the Jets to 20 and then there was a sack fumble where they got the ball back to the Bills. and What looked like could have been a game game changing sequence. And Allen gives it right back. I think the larger point is the offense has to do more. But I'm with you, Luca. I, I come away from this game knowing who was off the field for the defense, but also knowing who was on the field, to your point, wanting more from this defense because we can't live in a, if this team is a championship team and I asked you before about is it sustainable with Diggs being the main weapon? I don't think it's sustainable for this team to expect perfection or greatness out of their offense every single week. Um I had a point during the game where I tweeted out from our podcast account after Allen's second interception where there were a lot of games during the drought that Tom Brady's Patriots came in and Brady played awful against the Bills, would have multiple interceptions, but the Patriots would still find a way to win. And that's what I needed from the Bills today was, okay, our quarterback is off of his A game. It happens. Happens to the best of the quarterbacks in the world. As we're talking right now, Patrick Mahomes has nine points at halftime. I don't know how this game's going to end. He might end up with 40, but he has nine points at halftime. The best quarterbacks in the league don't just play flawless throughout the season. Allen had a bad game today. The offense had a bad game today. The offensive line had a bad game today. And to me, that's the kind of game that if this is a great defense, you have to be able to pick up your offense. They kept the Bills in the game. I will give them that. They kept the Bills in the game, and they had an opportunity to win with the ball in their hands with a minute 43 left down by three. But where they left me wanting more were two very key drives in this game. The first drive, uh, the Bills go up 14 to three after that long Josh Allen touchdown run. And I want to pull up my notes here because I have the exact sequence here. Um, okay, the this is a situation where I felt like the avalanche was actually going to start happening of Bills go up 14 to three and you're just thinking, okay, the Jets are not built to come back. Um, from behind, the Bills are kind of going through the Jets offensively now. They figured out how to how to score. The only time they've been stopped in this game is when Allen threw a really bad red zone interception on the first drive. It should be 17 to three. And you're thinking if the defense gets a stop here, the avalanche is coming. And the Jets went on a 13 play, 75 yard touchdown drive capped off by a Michael Carter TD run 
that not only got the Jets to 14 to 10, but essentially closed out the half. Now the Bills had the opportunity with the ball. I think they had 30 seconds left and got down into long field goal range for Tyler Bass. Great drive by Josh Allen there. Bass missed the field goal, but the Bills go into half 14 to 10. And instead of having a firm grasp on the game and if they can get a stop there, get the ball back and get points, maybe they're up 21 to three or 17 to three. Instead, they're up 14 to 10. The second point in this game was the very last drive of the game by the Jets. You get a fantastic Sam Martin punt down inside the five yard line of the Jets and the Jets are content to hand the ball off time and time and time again. And they go right through the teeth of the Bills defense all the way down and almost get a touchdown. Thank goodness Boogie Basham was there to help Jaquan Johnson tackle Zach Wilson, who was on his way to being an all-time meme for the Bills if Zach Wilson had carried him five yards into the end zone. I cannot even go into how much detail of how many flowers Boogie Basham should get from Jaquan Johnson tonight for saving him the embarrassment of getting run over by Zach Wilson for the game-winning touchdown, but that's neither here nor there. I know Luca has a little bit more to say about Jaquan Johnson as we go into this show, but to me, that was another situation where defense, you've done your part today, but I need you to be great. You're a great defense. You have great players on defense, and all due respect to the Jets, we like their roster. Their strength of their roster is on the defensive side. Our defense against their offense in that situation where they're backed up, that has to be a stop. That can't be a clock-draining drive that puts the Bills' offense up against it. Yes, the Bills' offense got the ball back with a minute 43 left, and you love their odds there. And things went wrong on that drive, and it closed out just a horrendous day offensively for the Bills. But I'm with Luka. The, The bigger story of the game is the offense blew it. Josh Allen played very bad for his standards and very bad in general. And the offense offensive line could not block the jets. That's the, that's the large story of the game. The sub story where I'm a little bit focused on here is when those games happen, this great defense that we've built with Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier has got to be great. And today they weren't great. And that's disappointing because it felt like it was set up for a situation where they had a lot of matchups to win and I'm telling you, Luca, if we didn't do our research heading into this game and knew the holes the Jets had on their offensive line, missing Elijah Vera Tucker, being down to their fourth right tackle, I would have thought the Jets had one of the better offensive lines in the league because there just was not pressure on Zach Wilson consistently. Yeah, there there wasn't. There wasn't pressure on him consistently at all. You know, maybe a couple plays here and there, but it just wasn't happening. That last drive, just for reference too. Opened up. So it was 13 plays, 86 yards total. Obviously ends in that field goal. It opened up with eight straight runs from their own four all the way down to our 20 were eight straight runs with a encroachment penalty sprinkled in there. That's in a game in a game that's tied and you just got them down there. That is the drive. That cannot happen in such a fashion on a great defense. It just cannot happen. And this is like, I mentioned something off air before we started recording this, and this might be a good time to drop it. Even players that played well, or at least played okay, such as a Von Miller. There's one thing that I would love to see happen out of a great player like Von Miller, and that's not him to get caught upfield snap after snap after snap especially when it really seems like 
this team, just like we saw last week, and last week made more sense because we had a big lead. Now it's a tie game late in the game. I don't know if it's just conversations aren't happening. I don't know what it is, but play after play, snap after snap, there was no edge discipline by Vaughn. And they're just running and they're content with running play after play after play. And not every run went to the edge and it wasn't all run at Von Miller. But when they were, Von's upfield. Like by the time the point of the handoff occurs and the running back is going to the edge of where Von is, Von's back is one yard past that running back. There is no chance for him to make an ability and make a play or have the ability to make a play on the ball. It's just not going to happen. And now you have left that edge open to whoever the boundary corner is and then the safety behind him. That's it. That's who needs to make the play. And unfortunately for the Bills today, half the time when a running back or anyone was on the perimeter and trying to get upfield, the individual who needed to make the play was Jaquan Johnson. And that's not what we needed. At all, as you put it, Boogie Basham saved Jaquan Johnson from being a meme, from being a joke, and probably from having me demanding his release papers like after the game. Just and we'll get into it. I'll I'll get on my soapbox about Jaquan Johnson later because spoiler alert, he's gonna come back up out of my mouth. But this Von Miller, a guy that you want to step up was even just finding it hard to just do his job, especially when opposite of him was AJ Epinesa or Boogie Basham, who weren't Groot. And honestly, that's our edge run defense is Groot for the most part. Like he is the edge defense on one side. That is who he is. He's not there. So I would almost like to see a great defense put a point of emphasis of like, hey, I know you want to get upfield and probably you're just waiting for them to drop back and pass. But can you just like, Let's let Zach Wilson sit back there and try to pass on us. Like, let's let it happen. Because guess what? Zach Wilson, if he does drop back and pass, has been known to throw really stupid passes. He's known for this. Welcome it. Just make sure no one gets the edge on you, whether it's Zach Wilson, which could happen, but you're probably not expecting, or anyone in the running game. Just make sure no one gets the edge on you. And I just didn't even see that from a guy like Von Miller, where I'd really like for him to do that in a tie game. It just didn't seem like that discipline or understanding was there that I would love to see out of a great defense. And that right there was really what frustrated me because I'm not sitting here talking about Jaquan Johnson containing the edge. I'm not sitting here talking about Terrell Bernard needing to hold his edge. I'm talking about Von Miller, number 40, superstar supposed to be the keynote guy on the defensive line to bring us over the edge. And I was visibly upset with him at one point because it was like three consecutive snaps. And I can't pinpoint exactly when this was, but it was three consecutive snaps where they ran the ball to his side and he was past the ball carrier by the time the handoff occurred. And that is just schoolboy shit. That's bull crap. That shouldn't be happening not in the National Football League, and not by a great player. I don't care. I don't care what anyone else has to say on that. That shit shouldn't be happening, especially at that point in the game when you know that's what they're trying to do because they do not want the ball in Zach Wilson's hand. That is the Jets' game plan. It's clear as day. This game showed it to that point, and it just, I don't know. Like It, it was beyond, beyond frustrating. I couldn't stand it. And that needs to be held accountable. And I don't know who needs to do it and what needs to be said 
but that I don't want to see that anymore. Like I just, as a fan and someone that loves this team, I cannot stand that shit anymore because that's where it was lost. We cannot let runners free on the edge or wherever it may be on Jaquan Johnson and Terrell Bernard, or when even the starters are there, Jordan Poyer and Matt Milano, they can't just be a free runner on those guys. Like those individuals probably make more plays on the ball than a Jaquan Johnson or Terrell Bernard. But again, you can't rely on them to be, they have to do it play after play after play, because by the time you're getting to those individuals, you're probably three to four yards up the field. Spoiler alert. It's 10 yards for a first down. If you average four yards a carry, you're going to get a first down every time. That's just how math works, people. And that is why I'm pissed off with everything I saw out of this defense, especially on that one drive that led to the go-ahead field goal for the New York Jets. The Bills might have a run defense issue, and I did not expect to be sitting here saying this two weeks ago, but last week against the Packers, they gave up 200 yards on the ground, and Luca and I sat here and we were like, you know, that one was kind of weird because the Bills were up by three scores and the Packers still ran. You kind of just let it go as game script specific and the bills were content to let them trade four yards for 40 seconds. That was not the case today. The, the jets ran for 174 yards combined. And this was a game all the way through and through, including the last drive of the game that ultimately put the jets ahead and allowed them to win. And they ran right at the bills defense. Very, very, very disappointing to see. And the Bills have very little time to get it fixed because next up is Dalvin Cook. And the week after that is Nick Chubb. So if the Bills don't fix this run defense soon, it could get late early for this defense. And the Bills cannot afford to drop any more games because they can't bottle up ball carriers. All right. One last thing I want to talk about from this game, Luca. I do want to flip it back to the offensive side of the ball because I think for the last few years, you and I have been in agreement that this is not an elite offensive line. This is a, this is probably a league average offensive line. Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morse are probably the only two players on this offensive line that are really high end starters. Everybody else is fairly replaceable, including Spencer Brown, including what's left of Roger Saffold and then Ryan Bates. Obviously, this offensive line really struggled today and in the context of playing against the Jets, I don't think that's overly surprising. The Jets have a very good defensive line. We all knew that coming in. They can get after the passer. They do rotate a lot, and they go very deep in the rotations of, of useful players. They've built a very strong unit there. I think most of us went into this game thinking the Jets had a better defensive line than the Bills have offensive line, but that's not unique to a lot of games. That happens a lot for the Bills. And I think a lot of us have just gotten used to the fact of that's fine. We still have Josh Allen. He'll figure it out. He knows how to get out of sacks. There was a great play by Jermaine Johnson today where it looked like Allen was going to pull one of those fantastic Josh Allen plays out of his hat. And then Jermaine Johnson got him down. You could see Allen was visibly frustrated with that. And I felt like today, Luca was one of the few times that this offensive line looked overmatched. And Josh Allen couldn't save them by being Houdini back there. Uh, Devin Singletary got nothing going on the ground. And then I really wanted to just slam my fist into the ground. There was a screen pass, I want to say, in the third or fourth quarter where they had two blockers out in front of Devin Singletary. And there were two defensive backs of the Jets there. And you just have to win that setup. And neither one of the blockers make their block. And Devin Singletary runs the wrong way. And I think it goes for like, it ends up going for like a seven or eight yard gain. And when that play is getting set up, I'm thinking this could be a touchdown. And that goes to 
this offensive line is very athletic, but you get them out in open space. I'm not convinced they know what they're doing all the time. And Devin Singletary is not a very high end athlete in the open field. We can talk about him in a second, but I'm concerned about this offensive line, Luca, because you know the money games roll around in the playoffs and the teams you're going to face in the playoff situations are going to have good defensive lines, just like the Jets had today. And yes, the Bills were playing without Spencer Brown, but you and I both would have gone into this game if we could have if we could have picked one Bills starter to have out with the backup we had most confidence in. Spencer Brown dropping off to David Questenberry would have been that choice for us. We'd have felt like the drop off is probably minimal. We can survive with that. That was not the case today. Questenberry didn't play well, but the offensive line as a whole did not play well. Deion Dawkins had a hold on the last drive of the game, which really set them back on a big digs catch. And it was overall a bad game for this unit. Is this something you're worried about going forward for the rest of the season? Because there is nothing the Bills can do right now at offensive line. There's not an Odell Beckham of offensive linemen just sitting out there ready to be signed. So if you are worried about it, we kind of are in a situation where there's not much to do. uh, But where are you at with this offensive line? Because I will tell you. I thought Aaron Cromer was going to be a home run out of the park signing for this team, and it still could be that. But between Roger Saffold looking like he is closer to washed than still useful and between um, Ryan Ryan Bates looking a little bit more like somebody that probably should have been a career backup versus somebody you pay uh, seven figures to be a starter for you and whatever's going on at right tackle with Spencer Brown and Questenberry, neither one playing at a particularly high level. I'm not ready to sit here and say that Aaron Cromer has waved a magic wand and uh, it really improved this unit. I still think there's some work to do there. Oh, 1000%. I think the Cromer kind of uh, magic, we'll call it because you just gave a beautiful wand reference there. Um, The Cromer magic is not exactly visible at this point in time. The right side of the offensive line as a whole is just not working. Like even when Spencer Brown has been healthy, he's been hit or miss, right? It seemed like, you know, hopefully he gets healthy because yes, what Spencer Brown now officially has to offer is better. I think it's safe to say than Questenberry. Questenberry does not look like that reliable sixth offensive line option that we had hoped and thought he would be in the preseason. Um, As you pointed out, even it's, it's alarming. It's alarming. It's alarming even in the sense of like, you you bring up Morrison Dawkins are pretty much the only we'll call them elite offensive line or just very dependable offensive linemen on this line. Dawkins even has a hold in him. Like I feel count me if I'm wrong. Like I'm not hating on Dawkins here. I, I don't want anyone to think that I think Dawkins does a, you know, does a decent and good job at left tackle, but I feel like you hear his number called for a holding and especially like it seems like in big moments, obviously normally a hold, if then the quarterback breaks out, hits a big play or whatever, that's generally what sprung it in the first place. But it seems like even in a game where we didn't have an offensive penalty the entire time, Dawkins gets called for a, some people will call it questionable hold. My personal opinion is if you're a good left tackle or you're a good offensive lineman, you're not going to get caught in the position that Deion Dawkins did get caught in, where he essentially had a lot of the individual's right shoulder pad up and your hand jammed in it for then that player to seemingly have your balance to the point where you feel like you need to tackle him inside to make sure he doesn't get to your quarterback. Spoiler alert. If an offensive lineman tackles a defensive player, it's going to be called as a hold. Um, 
I feel like he's got a hold in him here and there. So I'm not going to try to call it that like, oh, this is why he's not elite or this is not why he's very good. But it seems like even then there's something there, right? So no one's perfect on this offensive line is what I'm getting at. And Cromer, going back to it, is really not doing anything for me that is changing my, or it makes me feel like something's going to change even. It, it just seems like we're going to have to accept what we have because offensive line to me and what you have, and now we've had a, a few moving pieces, we've had injuries and all of that kind of stuff. But by this point, you should really know what you have in offensive line because there's not going to be a whole lot of change moving forward. Like you're, as you pointed out, even there's not an Odell Beckham of offensive line, you know, out there to sign and convince to come in here and really bring it up a notch. Like that doesn't exist. So we've seen all the individuals we have at our availability and you're not going to change from that. And Cromer has had his hands on all of these individuals since training camp. And it's just not working right now to the point, to the level that we hoped it to be. It's just, it's average at best. It's it's whatever. And they're they're having off days 50% of the time. And I mean, you have Bryce Huff just destroying Questenberry on the right side and causing the sack fumble. Like it, it's just I don't see better times in front of us. This seems the offensive line, to wrap it up real quick, the offensive line just seems like this is what we're going to have to get used to. I think they have better game in them, but it's nothing that I'm like, oh, this is just an off day for everyone. It will be better. I, I If that makes sense to you and anyone else listening, like I think the offensive line you saw today is not surprising. It's disappointing, but it's not surprising. It's kind of something that I now am going to expect to potentially ever come back but I just really hope and do know that they have better game in them because, and I'm not going to sit there and go, Aaron Cromer needs to do something like Aaron Cromer needs to just get whip these guys into shape and get them working better. One, please, for the love of God, Spencer Brown, get healthy and get back here. We just, you always want your offensive line to be healthier. And I think Spencer Brown is a better option now officially than Questenberry, but two, it, just accept that this is kind of what it seems like. This is the downside of our offensive line, but this is something that you shouldn't be surprised by moving forward. And it's really sad to say that it really is. But I think that's where my head is at with this offensive line. I'm just not going to expect magic to happen. I just hope they're able to kind of put things together. Like I know they can at the right time. If that makes sense. I think there's a lot of reason to think that there's a lot of average players on this offense that are lifted up by one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And there are some elite players in this offense that aren't named Josh Allen. Stefan Diggs is one. Mitch Morris is probably one. Deion Dawkins is, I don't want to call him elite, but I think he's good enough. Um, but outside of that, I think there's a lot of average-ish players across this offense that benefit from playing with one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So this was obviously a very emotional game for the fans. Uh, this is obviously one that's going to sting. We obviously want the bills, obviously three times in a row there. We want the bills to get back on the field, to wash this taste out of our mouth. And we asked you the fans, we put this out there as a tweet, let it out bills fans. When that game ended, what was the first thing you thought about? We'll discuss the best responses on our post game podcast. And boy, did we get some responses, Luca? People had some things they wanted to say. 
Um, our friend banged up bills, Kyle Trimble. Congratulations to him, by the way, on the birth of his baby this week. Welcome to the dad club, Kyle. Can't win them all. Certainly was an off week for them. Felt like Jags game last year. Move on to next week. I feel that. And uh, we will be definitely checking out banged up bills, Twitter page this week, as there are some injuries of note to monitor whether Trey white plays next week. What's going on with Josh Allen, um, Jake Bukowski, short-term tough and ugly loss. Well, we will bounce back long-term. This tightens the one seed race a lot. We can't afford to lose games like this spot on Jake. I agree with that. We've talked about that quite a bit tonight. That's right where my head's at too, is it's a tough loss. Um, it is just one loss, but it, this, you don't want this to be the one that you look back on in January when you're heading to Arrowhead thinking, man, if they just would have got this win, they wouldn't be doing that. Julie Andrade 94, always somebody that interacts with us a lot on Twitter. My thirst, my first thought was when I die, I want some of the Bills players to lower my coffin into the ground so they can let me down one last time. A little dramatic, Julie. Um, I feel like I feel like these Bills are, uh, you know, Oof. they're providing us with a lot more good than bad right now, Luca. But I I appreciate the humor she's going for there. Yeah, that's uh, that's um. <laughs> It seems it's like a funny overreaction. I'll mm-hmm. call it. That's 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 a good one. I it props to her. Julie Julie also is working on her own podcast. I think they record on Friday nights, if I've seen. So please check that out. Uh, let's go through a couple more of these. There was like thirty five responses here. We're not going to go through all of them, but we do appreciate everybody for tweeting it out. Hopefully, we helped you vent a little bit. Okay, um, Anne Bagage B U G A J. I was still thinking why McDermott didn't use the challenge flag. Seems like he struggles with that aspect of the game. I'm thinking, Luca, was there an instance in this game that felt like McDermott should have challenged? I feel like maybe the, the Edmonds interception. Yeah. But even that, it's hard to look back on like that cost you the game because a handful of plays later after the Skycam debacle that cost the game eight <laughs> minutes of delay, the Bills ended up getting a sack fumble. So it was kind of no harm, no foul. But is McDermott's um, challenge history a concern for you um no i i do feel like so this is actually something i noticed last week while in the stadium for the packers game there are a lot of people that were seemingly disappointed he didn't challenge something else even um and maybe other people just feel this way i don't me personally i don't really see much i don't see much in it where you know i feel like mcdermott's what's a good word to describe this McDermott soft or, you know, scared to challenge. Um, I will say I would have liked to see him challenge that. I feel I do wonder. So this is one thing I will say to this just to not take too long. I do wonder who the bills or if the bills, I assume they do have watching the video because I will say it doesn't seem like they get down to McDermott very often. And it seems like, at least half the time McDermott's making it an emotional challenge in his history. And I don't like that. Like I would like him to just have someone in his headset that he can go to and be like, what have you seen? And just hopefully they are like, this is their person's job. So as soon as the play's over, he's just waiting for the feed to come in and him to just look at it closely and just signal down like, Hey, hold it up. Hey, challenge. Hey, whatever. Right. Try to try to grease the refs. If it's under two minutes, something right. Um, I will say that sometimes I do wonder who they have involved and are they really slow at doing their job? Because sometimes I feel like this is, you see other teams and you see other organizations kind of quicker on it. And it seems like McDermott goes with a more emotional approach. Um, I don't like the emotional approach that seems 
erratic and not good. But uh, I, I didn't I didn't recall anything today other than that Edmonds one. And as you've pointed out, you know, it eventually ended up in a turnover anyway. So it's whatever. I would have liked to seen it challenged too personally, but I'm not upset over it. It's is what it is. That whole sequence was kind of weird because there was no challenge. And so it brought up third and one. And then the Jets rushed up to the ball to snap a play, which ended up hurting them because the Bills stopped them to make it fourth and one. And then you're thinking, okay, well, the Jets just Jets just kind of shot themselves in the foot. And then they bring out the punt team, and you're thinking, they're not really going to punt here. So, like, be alert for the fake. And then they fake it, which I am never a fan of the fourth and one fake because I feel like everybody that, you know, has any kind of brain should be on fake alert. Don't worry about blocking the punt. Just worry about not letting them fake it. And it worked. So then I'm just ultra ultra frustrated at this point because they're showing Robert Sala on the sideline high-fiving his his uh coaching staff and players like he's some sort of a genius like dude you ran a fake punt on fourth and one congratulations you just reinvented football I feel like I'm getting to a really dark place here Luca let me move on to the last comment I want to get here before we go to game balls and game checks Demir 1224 says the inability to run the ball ever since Shady left when your QB has bad games that's what teams usually turn to need another receiver. And the D line stopping the run has been a consistent problem since McDermott got here. I don't disagree with a lot of what he said there. I think the D line stopping the run is a problem. Now I think there's two kinds of ways to look at it. We know McDermott and Frazier's philosophy is this defense is going to focus on the pass and the offense is going to focus on the pass and passing is where the points are in football. And if your offense can score enough points, eventually the run's not going to hurt you. I'm okay with that. Passing is money in football. You stop the pass and you can pass well. You're going to win a lot more than if you can run and stop the run well. But to his point, there are times where it feels like this defensive line does not focus on the run as well as they should. We obviously saw that last year against the Colts. We've seen it numerous examples over the years where we were just banging our head against the wall, wondering why Starla Tulele made so much money. But I did not expect that from this defensive line. Hopefully this is a blip on the radar screen. But let's talk about the running game in general. We've talked about the offensive line, but Devin Singletary to me, I don't know. It feels a little bit like a fish out of water situation where the bills are still trying to run a lot of zone runs. And um, he's more of a guy that fits better in a pin and pull system. And I like Devin Singletary's agility. I like his ability to miss, make a player miss when it feels like he should get tackled. My issue with Devin Singletary through his entire career has been he's good. He's not great. And there's situations where it looks like he should be bottled up for a two yard run and he turns it into a six or seven yard run. And you're thinking that was beautiful. There's also situations where he should be bottled up for a two yard run. He makes somebody miss. And then you're thinking if he just had a second gear, he would score. And instead he's in the open field and he gets tackled for seven yards and it leaves you wanting more. And there were times today that I don't think run players were necessarily blocked great, but I feel like if he just had an extra gear in him that maybe the bills could have found more. This is not a team that runs very often. They're not going to give a running back 25 carries a game unless a game script just gets way out of whack in favor of the bills. To me, 
for the Bills, it's not just about getting two, three, four yards of carry. It's about can you mix in the explosive runs that make the defense really question everything about what their game plan was in stopping the pass. If you can just get one explosive run and really make them think about, man, we have to focus on all these weapons in the passing game. We have to focus on Josh Allen. And now we have a running back that just ran for 50 yards on us. What are we supposed to do to stop this team? That's where the trade the Bills made this week for Naheem Hines. For those that don't know, the Bills trade away Zach Moss and a sixth round pick for Naheem Hines. That kind of excites me. And you think about James Cook. They have running backs on this roster now that have that high-end gear. Luca, I think Devin Singletary is going to continue to be the guy. He certainly didn't do anything today to lose the job. That would be an overreaction. But I will tell you, it didn't take long after this game ended and me to you know get through the, the first emotional reaction to think about. I'm excited to see what happens with Naheem Hines because He's a polished running back where James Cook still has a, is a little rough around the edges, but man, he also has that gear where he can really make defenses pay if they're playing a deep, too high shell and he has some space to run. Yeah, he only had three offensive snaps, I guess, that came out uh, today. Not ultra surprising. I don't think I expected him to do much of today myself. I expect that, though, to expand quickly. I would agree about Singletary. Singletary has always been that guy that just kind of leaves you wanting more. You mentioned it there. That's kind of where I've always been with him. I don't hate him. I don't think he does anything wrong. I don't think there's anything about him that's bad. It's just what else you could get at that position that has me going, I really just want a little bit more. And James Cook can be that guy. I think Naheem Hines can be that guy. Um, I don't know if the Bills look at Naheem Hines necessarily for that big of a role. I will say today, um, I noticed James Cook was getting a lot more snaps it, comparatively to any other game I've watched closely on television. I only say that because I don't recall too, too much about last week. I know James Cook obviously had a decent production what, last week, but um, you know I don't know the raw numbers and I didn't see like even when he was on the field not getting the ball, especially from my vantage point, it would be tough to see that last week. But this week, it seemed like he was getting a little bit more of the share, not necessarily the actual ball, but it just seemed like he was out there more and they're relying on more just as a running back now. Like it's not just there to be that change of pace, pass catching weapon option. He's there to give Singletary that break and give himself some running back snaps. That's I kind of feel like the trade of Moss getting Naheem Hines. Now that thing that they really wanted Cook to hopefully be for us, you have a more refined proven commodity with a second gear and that elite speed we'll call it gear at running back in the pass catching and everything that I think you point out and I am very very excited for but I think this now opens up the ability as well for James Cook to be that you know faster option as a running back as well and I'm not saying Naheem Hines can't do that I just think that's how the Bills are looking at it you know the Bills look at it as motor still our guy he's still our 1A we'll call it but now you have this nice option at two that you can really touch up and work on as a running back who also has the ability to pass catch and then Naheem Hines is that real elite speed weapon out of the backfield if as you pointed out people are playing too high sitting back and you need something underneath more that has that gear to turn it upfield very quickly so yeah I'm, I'm excited with the prospect of all of that I think that tweet you brought up that led to this entire conversation wasn't really wrong the run defense as well, just real quick, you know, I pointed it out. It's like, it just seems like they don't care about it. I saw other individuals. I, I don't know if necessarily on Twitter, if they were replying to this tweet or anything, just in general, I heard 
this was a game too where you're like, man, it would be interesting if they went to a more four three style where you you're not a they are a nickel defense. That's just what they are. That's our base essentially. But you're also not going to go into a four three here because we're already thin at linebacker. You're already like, what do you, what else can you do on this game? It's just you had to unfortunately live with the reality that was being a nickel and essentially inviting the run and just hopefully you stop it and they just weren't able to at any point of this game. And it's concerning because it's, you know, happens time and time again. I do wonder, as you pointed out, Delvin Cook next week, Chubb the following week. These are offenses that do primarily focus on the run and stuff, whereas the Jets, you really don't know what you're going to get. You know they're going to try to keep the game out of Zach Wilson, but they have shown that they still like to throw it around and stuff like that. Like you, It's kind of a – it's not unproven, but it's unknown. And you, those are offenses that you know they're going to lean on those guys. They do have weapons to beat you over top. But I do wonder if kind of the mindset changes when you play those teams with a Dalvin Cook or a Chubb just because you have to focus on that guy. Like think of it as the Bill Belichick mindset, right? We vote we know Bill Belichick. Well, we are been unfortunately in his division and he always just, his mindset is take away the thing that could kill you most. Take away the number one thing that that team wants to do. Delvin cook and Nick Chubb for those two teams. Those are your main options. Justin Jefferson definitely in the conversation. Yeah. But Delvin cook is probably going to be the one thing that you're like, Hey, you mm-hmm. can't, with our run defense issues, you can't let him be. I don't worry about Justin Jefferson over top with this defense because we're built to take away the over top crap, right? Like we're just naturally built for that. So I look at it more as the number one guy they're going to circle on the board. And it's more for Cleveland with Nick Chubb, but it's, they're going to circle that guy and just be like, do not let him kill you. Do not let this guy just run free in the open field, all of that kind of stuff. Right? So with the jets, you're not doing that with Michael Carter. You're not doing that with James Robinson. You essentially are just kind of, Hey, try to keep the game in front of you, however it may come. Those offenses, I feel like you at least can focus on a guy and just be like, please do not let this guy run in the open field. And then we'll just worry about the overtop from there. So it's an interesting point, though. It's a good tweet. I am with you, though. I don't disagree with much at all. And I am excited to see what we do at the running back position with Naheem Hines and then more expansive with James Cook. So. I love your point on Naheem Hines and what, what he takes off the plate for James Cook. Wow, Harrison Buckter is having a night <laughs> night to forget. And I'm sorry if I'm sidetracked here, but I really want the Chiefs to lose tonight to uh, salvage what's been an otherwise miserable week of football for me as a Bills fan. Um, so as the week went on with Naheem Hines trade, you and I had the ability to talk as it's happening, and we disagreed a little bit on like the impact it could have. But I will tell you one thing that I got really excited about, and I want to say it was Sal Capaccio on WGR who first brought it up. He said, exactly what Lucas said about James Cook is if you think about James Cook right now as kind of the receiving threat, like he's going to run, run wide receiver routes. He's going to catch passes in the open field. He's going to come in really when it's only time to run the ball. And what Naheem Hines can do is Naheem Hines can take on some of that stuff because that is not learning how to be a running back. That's learning how to be a specialist. And when you draft a running back in the second round, you don't necessarily want him to be pigeonholed as one specific type of player. You want him to be an all around running back. And this frees him up to focus on that. Something else Sal Capaccio brought up. Khalil Shakir was our primary punt returner before Naheem Hines showed up. And there were many practices that Khalil Shakir would leave, especially before Bill's home games. He would leave the practice to go over to the stadium 
to field punts in the wind to get used to how the wind circulates in the stadium because it's a weird wind situation there. And he'd be there fielding punts, taking him away from offensive practice. And if you think about wide receiver development, that's great. Like we want him to secure the ball on the punt return, but you have a guy like Naheem Hunt, like Naheem Hunt, Naheem Hines now who can secure that, can handle that role. And now Khalil Shakir can just focus on being a wide receiver. This should be great for James Cook's development as an all around running back. Like Lucas said, this should be great for Khalil Shakir as a guy that we want to focus on being a better wide receiver because we need somebody to step up into that third wide receiver position if Odell Beckham does not come walking through that door sometime soon. And I think those are some things we definitely want to keep an eye on. I will also say one thing to Luca's point about going more four, three versus nickel. Luca, how do you think Terrell Bernard, this, this thing's going? Because I will tell you like, and we're going to do game checks here in a second and I'm still kind of debating, but he is definitely on the top of my list. Um, I now have, I did not go to training camp. So I heard all the positive reports about Terrell Bernard out of training camp and I respect all of it, but I have two eyes and I have what I feel like is a fairly experienced football brain behind those two eyes. And when I saw Terrell Bernard in preseason, you and I both agreed he looked slow, slow to react, maybe too much on his plate is what it is. He did have a touchdown in preseason and it was just kind of like the ball went right into his hands. And today when it mattered live bullets against the jets, I still saw somebody who was playing slow behind on a lot of plays, not making impact plays. I don't think he was the worst player on the defense because of somebody I know Luke is probably going to call out here in a little bit, but for a guy, the bills took in the third round when there were intriguing options at receiver and offensive line on the board, I am left wanting more out of what I've seen. And I will tell you if Matt Milano misses next week, I am all the way in on ready to see Tyrell Dodson back in the lineup. Slow. Terrell Bernard is slow. Mm-hmm. He is just slow. That's let me just say it one more time for the people in the back. Terrell Bernard is slow. <laughs> um, that's not good. Like, uh, not in this defense. You can't be small can't, and slow. That's not a good combination. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to ignore the fact that he is slightly undersized. It's like he, he is slow. And I, I don't know. It's like I'm going to give him that rookie pass in that world. Like, I don't know if it's just he's not up to speed with the NFL. I don't know if it's just he doesn't. I I don't know. We're, we're just fans. We're just sitting here discussing this, right? Overall, we are not in the locker room. We're not sitting there watching the day-to-day behind the scenes. But every time you see him on the field, he is slow. He's behind the play. He's always second or third to the ball like in in this defense you can't be that time after time after time there's a reason milano is as important as he is this was a game where i am now fully thinking we can't do the buyout on matt milano's contract in the summer like that was this was the unless something changes drastically that option that he has in this coming 2023 offseason it just I don't know if this Bills defense can afford that. Like, I don't know if we can afford to just let him go. I am with you. If if Milano's out again next week, I want to see Dodson in there. I just want to see someone different because at least Dodson has shown, you know, flashes here and there where he can be someone to get to the ball first and can be reliable in some capacity in this defense. <laughs> Bernard is not. He's just not. He's a rookie. And he... He looks, how do I put this really politely? 
Terrell Bernard looks like a rookie that if I didn't know where he was taken in the draft and I didn't know how this team felt about him and I didn't know his, let's call him uh, combine metrics, I would tell you he was probably drafted in the sixth round. I would probably tell you he was maybe drafted in the seventh round slash was an undrafted free agent priority. He does not look like a guy that was taken with the expectation that he could be relied on if needed due to injury or whatever it is. He is not someone like I would think that he's our fourth, fifth linebacker in there. Just kind of, hey, can you just be a warm body and pick up where wherever you can and just do what you can? He's not someone that I'm thinking that, oh, one guy's out. We're going to put you in behind Edmonds and Milano whenever we need you. Like this is red flags are up. The flares are shooting. I am very concerned about Terrell Bernard so far. Yeah, so since McDermott showed up, it's been pretty much the school of thought where the two safeties were the lifeblood of the defense. And I think that's very much still in play as um, Rachel Bush was so kind to let us all know today as the Bills were losing that uh, Jordan Poyer earned his money today. She kind of took an interesting angle on Twitter. We won't have to get into that. But man, she was she was almost um, cheering for the Jets. It felt like that was kind of weird. Um, but I feel like maybe we're starting to see a shift where the Edmonds Milano combination up the middle is starting to take over that lifeblood of the defense where maybe the sum is better than the parts. Although Milano is just at this point, undeniably excellent. He, he is all over the field. He makes plays in the run game, makes plays in pass defense. And any thought that I had, I certainly had them before this season that the bills could move on from um, Tremaine Edmonds and or move on from Matt Milano to make room for Tremaine Edmonds. I am all but done with that idea. I think Matt Milano's here. I think they're going to try to keep Tremaine Edmonds in the fold, and it's going to be with Matt Milano. Um, he is just he is just too good right now to do that. So, all right, Luca, it's going to be tricky, but we have reached the point of the game where we have to hand out game balls to Bills players who played well enough today to earn our respect and earn our game balls. And I know when I asked you after the game ended what you thought about how the podcast was going to go, you had a certain comment about how maybe nobody was going to get your game ball, but I'm interested to see how you feel now. Several hours later, the Bills lost 20 to 17 in the Meadowlands to the New York Jets. Who, Luca, on the Buffalo Bills side of things, will earn your game ball for their performance today? Huh. So, as you pointed out, I might have given you a little bit of a peek behind the curtains when you originally asked me how I was feeling, you know, when the game initially wrapped up. And emotionally, I said, there is zero chance I am giving anyone on this team a game ball because not one individual stood out and did anything for me to make me feel like they deserved a game ball. We are sitting here now, what is it, six and a half hours after I made that statement to you. And I'm going to be quite honest, I still sit there. I still am in the mindset where I really do not know where to go with the game ball. I w- <sighs> There's individuals that I want to say play decent, and I'm not going to rattle them off because, of course, you're going to do your game balls part, and I'm sure you probably are going to pick out someone, I would imagine, because I, I would hope we're not both on the same page, but I would also understand if we're on the same page here. 
But I genuinely, I value this. And this is what I want to tell people listening to this. I value this. This is where I really, you know, we could bail out every week, it seems like. And this is not a week, by the way, where you could say Josh Allen is the guy getting my game ball, right? And we haven't done that in the past because it's just fun to point out another individual who really stood up, stood out, I should say, and, you know, picked up the slack and made things happen. This is a game where literally no one did that for me. Not one individual really stepped up and made a massive impact to emphasize that they deserved a game ball from me. So for that reason, even emotions aside, I genuinely respect my game ball handing out to the point where I just cannot do it. I cannot <laughs> give anyone my game ball. Like, honestly, I if, I want, if I had to, and this is going to be weird because it's a Bills podcast, if I had to hand out a game ball, I would give it to Bob Sala just because I respect that in a game that he was double digit dog and everything was seemed against him, especially to start the game. He still got this young inexperienced team to turn around and make things happen. And for that, I would have done that, but I can't also give it to the opposition coach. Like that's it's ridiculous. But the, it's just me saying that the jets deserve to win this game. They were the better team on the field today. And for that reason, also, no one else stood out for me on the Bills where I cannot give a game ball to anyone. Well, Luca, would it surprise you if I said I had three candidates from the Bills from this mess of a game to give a game ball to? Would that surprise mm -hmm. you? <laughs> Not really, but also I'm amazed that you got it all the way to three. So kind of. All right. On the offense, I'm going to give you my two runners up, and so then I'll give you my actual game ball. On the offensive side of things, Stefan Diggs did not have a great game by any means, but he certainly did did enough with the opportunities that he got. And I still think that, you know, I, I would have loved to see what happened on that last drive had his catch not been brought back by holding five catches for 93 yards, had the long one on Sauce Gardner early on, was kind of quiet in the second half. But when you look at it, he, at this point in time, he's the only um, skill position player outside of the quarterback that you can trust. So I think if you're going to give one, it could have been him. Uh, and then I will also tell you a sneaky good game today was by our punter, Sam Martin. He averaged 55 yards of punting and think of how we'd be talking about Sam Martin right now. If that last jets drive ends in a three and out where he punts them down to the five yard line, that was such a clutch punt by Sam Martin in that particular time. So I feel like the situation the bills were put in and they put themselves in the situation with their previous punter who we're not going to mention right now. And to have Sam Martin fall into their laps because of a contract dispute in Denver he is going fantastic for the bills. They don't ask a lot out of their punter, but when his number's been called this year, he's been great. So on a day where not a lot of guys shined, I could have given it to him, but I'm going to make Stokes a little proud here. I thought one guy shined on defense today. He kept popping DeMar Hamlin. He's been in a tough spot. Like imagine you're making your first start in the NFL, replacing Micah Hyde, and then you're making your second start opposite of not Jordan Poyer, you're making your second start opposite Jaquan Johnson. No, I had that backwards. Your first start was with Jaquan Johnson replacing Hyde and Poyer, and he has more than held his own. He is not Micah Hyde. He is not Jordan Poyer, but he is making a statement for himself that he is capable of being a starter in this league. Eight tackles today, had the sack on the Jets last drive of the game that gave the Bills a chance with the ball in their hands, only down by three, and he is just tough in the run game. He plays well in the pass game. I am impressed with DeMar Hamlin. So with that, with this slop fest of a game, DeMar Hamlin gets my game ball. 
but I do respect Luca going into the locker room and saying, look, y'all suck. None of you are getting my game ball. I'm going to deflate this thing and go wipe my butt with it and throw it in the trash can so I can respect that. But Luca, I know if you have no game balls to hand out, you must be overly excited about the game checks portion of the show because this is where what player on the Bills played so poorly that you want to walk in to the locker room tomorrow and say, you hand over your game check, buddy, because you did not earn it. Um, so may have hinted at this moment in time previously in this episode. And as we have, or I have named this award, the Zach Moss Memorial Award, I am going to keep that going. Just he's not even on the team. And I definitely want to bring that up because this individual played in such a way that I thought he was more of a waste of a roster spot than Zach Moss was when he was still on the Buffalo Bills. And Jaquan Johnson, like, how can you look yourself in a mirror and say that you deserve to be on a defense and on this team? Because after that performance, you made me feel like you did not deserve to wear this uniform. You did not deserve to be in that locker room. And honestly, Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier should have been reevaluating your position on this team and heavily debating, finding yet another replacement for you because Dean Marlowe is sitting right there behind you. And I know I'm sitting here and you're sitting there and we're thinking Dean Marlowe needs to be on the field in his position stat that needs to happen. And then I don't know if I even trust this guy to be backing up Dean Marlowe next week when we play against the Vikings, like Jaquan Johnson, just dude, everything you did and everything you were around was bad. Anytime any play came your way, I was terrified because you were taking horrible angles at everything. You just did not know what you were doing in the passing game. You were a useless man on the field for this defensive side of the ball. Useless. Like We legitimately could have field 10 people and probably had almost as good of production from that area that you filled time after time after time. If it wasn't for you slowing down Zach Wilson just ever so slightly so Boogie Basham could finally end that, I would have said, actually, we would have gotten the exact same production out of no one being in your position than if you were there. But luckily, you at least slowed Zach Wilson down. So I can't say that. But yeah, the Zach Moss Memorial Award, and please hand me your game check, potentially your contract, so I can rip it up in front of you. Jaquan Johnson, take a bow, bud, because to me, you're not on the plane going home. See you later. <laughs> you got to stay in New York, I guess, New Jersey. Um, yeah, so we probably should mention that along with Naheem Hines, the Bills sent a seventh round pick to Atlanta to bring in Dean Marlowe, which to Luca's point, if Jaquan Johnson had done anything to give this staff confidence in his extensive playing time this year with the injuries to Hyde and Poyer, um, they would not have felt the need to trade for Dean Marlowe. I think Dean Marlowe was not a trade they made because they were worried about Poyer being out long-term. I think it was a trade they made because they've seen enough of Jaquan Johnson to feel like we can't trust this guy in a big spot, and it's disappointing. I'm with you. I'm all the way out on Jaquan Johnson. I had high hopes for him for what I was hearing from the spring. You know, you always thought about, like, he's a solid player, doesn't necessarily pop athletically, but he's finally given a chance, and he's, he's playing behind two all-pro players 
And, you know, it's just a guy, maybe he's a starter in this league and we just never know it. Well, I'm, I'm done with that idea. Jaquan Johnson's contracts up at this year and he is going to have a good time going wherever he goes after Buffalo, because I don't see any scenario where the bills think to themselves this off season, we got to keep Jaquan Johnson. My game check is going to be tough because one thing I want to do with game checks, Luca, is I want to look back on them when the season's over and I want to be able to look at who I gave the game check award to and have that trigger something in my brain that tells the story of that game. So who could get the game check that really tells the story of this game? And honestly, the first name that comes to mind, unfortunately, is Josh Allen, because this was by far his worst game of the season, really his his worst game of the last several years outside of the game in Jacksonville last year. Two turnovers, two more fumbles, um, just he had a fumble on the last drive of the game on a sack that could have ended up costing the Bills. Uh, and just not his best game, had some missed throws, overthrew digs on a long ball, a very forgettable game by him. But at the same point in time, game check, I also look at the same way Luca does. If you didn't play, would the Bills have been better off? And under no circumstances would the Bills have been better off today if Josh Allen didn't play because their only offense was him running and Case Keenum was not going to do that. So I, I fully think that if Case Keenum starts today, the Bills do not score 17 points. So I'm not going to give it to Josh Allen. Uh, David Questenberry, another guy that really lost his matchup today, and it showed up on the last drive more so than any. Um, he's certainly worthy of a game check. Um, I'm right there with Luca on Jaquan Johnson. We already mentioned Terrell Bernard. Um, but I think when you want to look at what this game left me with, a bitter taste in my mouth, and where I'm really thinking about this game and and just the story in general, I, I feel bad isolating one person because I think it's a group of players that have collectively let this team down. But just because the way the last play of the game went, I'm going to single out Gabe Davis. But I think this is kind of a group award for not only Gabe Davis, but also Isaiah McKenzie and Dawson Knox. The Bills are just not getting enough out of two three and four, any way you want to rank them, the guys after digs that they're supposed to be able to rely on in the passing game to make plays. And they're getting nothing consistently out of any three of those guys. Davis gets the game check today because Knox, you know, Knox didn't do anything else either. We haven't even talked about him yet, but he had two, he had three catches for 25 yards. And I will tell you like, Where's rookie season Dawson Knox who catches a five yard pass and runs somebody over or makes two guys miss in the open field. It feels like Dawson Knox has become a catch and get tackled guy since he got his contract. I, I hate to pile on. I don't want, I don't want to be overly dramatic about one game, but I can't remember the last time Dawson Knox really broke a tackle in the open field. He also is just not getting the ball at all right now, which is very confusing. Uh, we talked about how Isaiah McKenzie, they had to do jet sweeps today to get him involved. He had 12 yards receiving, just what are we doing there? And it's not like Jamison Crowder is there eating into his snaps. He's just not involved in this offense, a slot receiver position that Josh Allen had heavily relied on in the last two years. But again, the game check award is going to go to Gabe Davis. And with that, we put a bow on this very, very disappointing game today. The Bills fall to six and two with their loss to the Jets. Luca, let's quickly spin it around the league. I think the big story coming out of today for the Bills is the rest of the AFC East one. And honestly, I had this game on my second TV in my game. And I'm trying to bring up the score right now. So give me one second. The Miami Dolphins and Chicago Bears had an absolute shootout. The Dolphins win in Chicago 35 to 32. I got to see quite a bit of this game. And I will tell you, 
as much as I wanted the Dolphins to lose, they did not. I came away so impressed, Luca, with Justin Fields. I know you haven't been the biggest Justin Fields guy. I know it's an Ohio State thing with you, and neither one of us necessarily trust the program in Chicago to develop a quarterback. But what we've seen out of Justin Fields dating back to that Monday night game in New England where the Bears have almost made a concentrated effort to utilize his legs, let him run, add that second dimension to his game, which is so special that allows him to be that dynamic player he has really stepped his game up, and I think he's gone from a guy that I was about ready to write off because he was in a bad situation with a bad team and just hadn't shown flashes. To me, I think he's taken the lead in that second-year quarterback mix of Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. I know Zach Wilson played well today, but come on. Mac Jones, and then obviously Trey Lance is uh, injured, so no more for his resume. What are your thoughts on Justin Fields coming out of today? Ah. <sighs> Let me take a deep breath here. Justin Fields is still making Justin Fields is making the best of what he can with what he's got. And the reason I start there is because yes, he had a great day, but also tell me is 15 carries for 178 yards and a touchdown something that seems sustainable? for a quarterback that is the build, size, and abilities that is Justin Fields? Because to me, the answer is no. And it's not a Cam Newton, Josh Allen situation because Justin Fields is not a unit of a human being. He's not small, but he's not large either. And if you were to look at his quarterback stats, 17 of 28 for 123, he did have three touchdowns. He also had no interceptions. That's a productive day. But that's a day that, yes, part of it is he's limited by the weapons and everything that he has at his disposal. But also, I do think just him as a passer and him as a quarterback, I will say, yes, he is in the, you know, he's on, he's in the lead for that sophomore year quarterback. But I don't think that's because he's been exceptional and that he's just, you know, blowing up the league with skill at the quarterback position. I just also think that emphasizes the quarterback plat class. That is the one he came from might just not really be that good because he is still heading away above, you know, Zach Wilson at this point in his development and Mac Jones at this point in his development and everything like that, where it's like, I look at a guy like Malik Willis, who's playing right now as we record this podcast and I'd probably still say I'd rather Malik Willis than Justin Fields, even with what we're seeing. It might seem ridiculous to some, and I don't mean it in any disrespect to Chicago fans or anything out there or Justin Fields fans. I love that you got the Ohio State <laughs> dig in there. I do hate Ohio State with a damn passion. <laughs> like, they got some they rookies balling this year, Luke. <laughs> and, yeah, and they don't produce quarterbacks, but... I respect the production. Just it seems like the Chicago Bears. What was it? The Monday night game two weeks ago against the Patriots. Finally, we're just like drawing up the game plan and we're like, F it. We're not going to just have him sit there and throw the damn ball. It's not working. Let's just have Justin Fields run around and see what happens. And then as soon as they start doing that in these games, it opens up a lot of the easier passing game for him to keep the chains moving. And then he's able to break one or two runs where it's like, wow, you're really in this game. They haven't, they won the New England game, but then they lost that game against Dallas last week and they've lost this game against Miami. 
good games, good offensive games. But Justin Fields still doesn't seem like that guy to me. He seems like a guy. I'm not going to say that he's worse than the 32nd ranked quarterback in the NFL anymore. I, I never really said that. I just looked at him as a very low end starter. I just don't think he's also at a point where I'm like, he's definitely flirting with that mid tier to get to the point where he can develop elite. Maybe he can in a better environment with better weapons and all that stuff. If Chicago does that for him and they think they did that already with him for clay, you know, for him with Claypool, I don't think that's it, but um, shout out my boy, Nikhil Harry. I also don't think he's it. I still love him though. Forks up. Um, that was random. Oh, Chicago. Never mind. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, Chicago, gotcha. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I just don't see it with Justin Fields. I will look, I hated the bears and I still hate the damn bears. Like I just hate them so much. Their roster is awful. They traded away even some of their good pieces. Like, it's just like, I, I don't understand this team. I really don't, but they're definitely outperforming what I thought. I think Justin Fields has looked better than what I thought. And I will give him that. I will swallow my pride on that one. But also, I would just tell any Chicago fan that I see in person, temper your expectations a little bit. Look into the numbers and look into everything. I think it's a little bit overblown and a little bit, we'll call it phony in production. Like It's just, I feel like the Bears are finally just saying, F it, let's just run him around and see what he's got there. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, obviously, I think Justin Fields is playing his way into being the guy there next year. We spent way too much time on the Bears here, but I will say, like as Bills fans, we can certainly feel that fan base. We know what they're going through. They're they're a good fan base that doesn't deserve to go through as much losing as they've gone through. And um, we will see what happens there. But the Bears do lose to the Dolphins, who are six and three. The Dolphins are not going away. They are very good. Um, and they are undefeated in games that Tua has started and finished. He had 302. And three touchdowns today. Tyreek Hill is just unguardable this, at this point in time. Seven receptions for 143 and a touchdown. And if you want to say TLDR, which is too long, didn't read, the out-of-town scoreboard could not have gone worse for the Bills. Now, that doesn't include the game that's currently going on right now, which at least for now is going very well for the Bills. But essentially, any game that had any Bills intrigue whatsoever, if you would have said, which team do you want to win? The team that you wanted to win ended up losing. The Bengals playing against the NFC Carolina Panthers won 42 to 30 or 21. They improved to five and four. Um, the Patriots beat the Colts and they improved to five and four. And they are the last place team in the AFC East with a winning record. Um, another AFC versus NFC game, the Chargers came back and beat the Falcons. 20 to 17. The Chargers improved to five and three. And if the Chiefs do lose tonight, the Chargers will find themselves in first place or tied for first place in the NFC or AFC West. The Jaguars and Raiders was pretty irrelevant to the Bills. And that's about it. And then the Ravens and the Saints play tomorrow night. The Eagles stayed undefeated with their 29 to 17 victory over the Texans on Thursday. And Luca, I know you and I are both distracted by what we're seeing on Sunday Night Football because the Titans have a chance to make us all feel better about this NFL football day. And so far, so good. 
Yeah, no, I mean, Malik Willis, it's very impressive what he's doing in, uh, or at least this offense is doing well in the defense, I think is the story of this game for sure for Tennessee. Like they are awful against the pass and yet still Mahomes at this point. So just to peek beyond the current people, there is 1044 left on the game clock in the fourth quarter. And Kansas City, as you all are aware, still only has nine points with Patrick Mahomes. Just wild. I will say this. The one score I'm just going to bring up before we wrap up this episode that I think did go the Bills way. And this is just my silly philosophy and also kind of what tips why I think the Jets were a little extra motivated for this game on top of already playing the Bills and it being a divisional game is I hate playing teams that come in losing. I don't like that. I just you always want the team coming in comfortable rather than pissed off and thinking they need a win. The Vikings did win and Kirk Cousins got the win in Washington against his former team. So we get to play the Vikings next week. I would much rather them play that play this game next week where Kirk Cousins feels comfortable and the Vikings feel comfortable. They're seven and one. Things are going well. Um, then them being pissed off after losing that game and think they need to, you know, bounce back and make a statement. So just to put a little silver lining on it, Josh, I want to kind of point out the one score that may have gone our way because we're not going to be playing yet another pissed off and disappointed team next week as we host the Minnesota Vikings. I understand that. I also think that if you want to really, if you really want to get into it, the um, the Rams and Bucks game went the Bills way because the Rams are very much rumored to still be involved in the Odell Beckham Jr. sweepstakes. And with their loss today, they fall to three and five. And you just wonder how appealing that situation is becomes for Odell Beckham, who along with trying to sign maybe a multi-year deal is looking for a team that has a chance to win a ring. So all of that to think about, and we have a lot going on this week. We will obviously keep our ear to the ground on the Josh Allen injury situation. We hopefully will get some good news on guys like Matt Milano, Tredavious White, and who else am I forgetting that didn't Oh, Jordan Poyer. Um, obviously we'd like to see a couple of those guys come back for a big, big matchup against the Minnesota Vikings this week, along with Greg Rousseau, who left the game at halftime and did not return. Um, if the bills are missing multiple of those guys, that would be a tall, tall order against those Minnesota Vikings defense. Um, Luca and I will be back on Monday to wrap up the Vikings game on bills chat, but Luca and I'll be back a little sooner than that. We think we don't want to make anything official just yet, but we think there's a better than average chance you will hear from us on the built in Buffalo podcast network before Monday coming up on the, on the live show built in Buffalo live. Keep your, keep your uh, eyes open for that to our Twitter account for that. We would like to thank all of you for tuning in to Bill's chat this week, and please keep it locked in to the built-in Buffalo podcast network. We will continue to wrap up this Jets loss today for the Bills, 20 to 17. We will get you ready for the Bills matchup showdown with the Minnesota Vikings coming up next week, the 7-1 Vikings, and we will also keep you up to date on all the injuries and potential Odell Beckham Jr. news as we navigate through the middle of November heading toward Thanksgiving where I will see the Bills play the Lions, which is of no interest to anybody else but me, the fact that I will be in attendance when I am excited. But until next week, for Josh and Luca, this has been Bill's Chat. We will see you next time. Thank you.